It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me, or you, or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. I can just easily say that this is the greatest day in my life. You know, it was my dream the first day, uh, first day I stepped in, uh, into America. And you know, it, after I get my uh, green card, obviously it's been a rough six years because Turkish government revoked my passport and put my name on Interpol list. Um, but I think, you know, I wanted to do it because I remember first time I came to America, you know, one of my teammates, it was back in 2009, uh, one of my teammates criticized the president. And I turned around and I told him, I was like, dude, what are you doing? They're gonna throw you in a jail. And he, and he told me, he started laughing and said, this is America, don't worry about it. You are not in Turkey anymore. I was very shocked. But uh, you know, the reason I wanted to do it because this, you know, from day one, America gave me a home. Uh, American people opened their arms, gave me a warm wel uh, welcome. And uh, I wanted to do it because I wanted to uh, call somewhere where I can feel like this is my home now. And uh, it is the greatest feeling uh, that I ever had. People should feel really blessed and lucky to be in this, be in, uh, be in America because, you know, they love to criticize it. But when you live a country like Turkey or, or you know, China or somewhere else, you will appreciate the freedoms you have here. Yes. You know, that is exactly so I feel like they should just please, they, they should just keep their mouth shut and stop criticizing the greatest nation in the world. And they should focus on, you know, the, their freedoms and their human rights and their uh, democracy. So this is America give me everything I have. So I, I definitely appreciate uh, the United States of America. The voice of Enos Cantor. He is the Boston Celtics center who changed his name uh, to Eric Cantor Freedom. And he was sworn in as a citizen yesterday. Uh, he posted a video of his swearing-in ceremony. When, when he finished, he hugged the judge. I could tell the judge wasn't used to that. Uh, it was just kind of, it was just the most moving moment. It really was. You just heard what he said to Tucker Carlson last night. He said, I, and he tweeted, I am proud to be an American. Uh, he said, it's the greatest nation in the world, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And he wore a big T-shirt uh, last night that said, well, as he was being sworn in, it said, U.S. citizen established 2021 with an American flag. Uh, you know, um, this is the kind of immigration that makes America great. It's the kind of America uh, immigration that has always made America great. It's legal. It's people who really want to be here, want to embrace the Constitution, want to embrace what America stands for. And uh, it's just a breath of fresh air. And I wanted to start with that today because we have so few <laughs> breaths of fresh air, do we? Interestingly enough, um, he called out LeBron James for valuing money over morals and American companies for turning a blind eye toward human rights abuses in China. He's worn, worn you know, tennis shoes or whatever we call them now, all the, beautifully designed for him to free the Uyghurs, 
Uh, that's the Muslim population in China. In fact, he talked to Tucker about that a little bit. Let's just capture that. This is his second comment. Here it is. There are so many, you know, athletes, so many actors, so many celebrities out there who are scared because if they criticize China, obviously they will be affected. You know, their endorsement deals, their um, contract or their, you know, their money will be affected and they're scared to say anything. But to me, you know, human rights, democracy and freedom is way more important than everything they can offer me. You know, morals, values, and principles are the most important thing in life. So to me, I wanted to stand up for my Muslim brothers and sisters who are in, you know, concentration camps are getting tortured and raped every day. And I don't care whoever said which organization or which company, I don't care about any of that. I care about to be the voice of all those innocent people out there who don't have a voice. Yeah, so uh, Inez Cantor, uh, wow. So I think we're going to see a lot of great things from him, and if, unless they shut off the mic or stop listening to him or stop, you know, publish, publicizing things that he says, uh, we're going to hear some great things from him. Um, so that reminds me, there's another. This is by contrast. Shall we just say by contrast? Other people have come here, uh, not feeling the same way. Ilhan Omar comes to mind, and she is in a big spat uh, with Lauren Boebert. Uh, Ilhan Omar, of course, loves uh, Islamists. She defends them. She said about 9-11, some people did something. She couldn't bring herself to talking about what happened. There are all kinds of skeletons in her closet, in her um, connections with jihad, and that's not Enos Cantor. It's a good chance for us to distinguish between Muslims who want to be part of this country and embrace its ideals and those who do not, who want to get elected and turn the country on its end, which is what Ilhan Omar is doing. And that reminds me then, uh, she and he, uh, Ilhan Omar and Lauren Boebert are in this big spat. I think it's probably not the first time because Lauren Boebert's been calling her out. Lauren is from Colorado. In fact, I want to remind you uh, how how much she called her out. When, they, when the Democrats in the House censured Paul Gosar and removed him from his committees, they did the same thing to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Uh, they're trying to, you know, uh, undermine and neutralize really the strongest, some of the strongest voices in the Congress. Well, Lauren Boebert stood up to defend um, Paul Gosar as well she may. He is a real champion. And this is what she said, just to remind you, clip 11. Policies are so pathetic and have done so poorly that the left has nothing else to do but troll the Internet looking for ways to get offended and then try to target members and strip them of their committees. This is a dumb waste of the House's time. But since... The Speaker has designated the floor to discuss members' inappropriate actions, shall we? The Jihad Squad member from Minnesota has paid her husband, and not her brother husband, the other one, over a million dollars in campaign funds. This member is allowed on the Foreign Affairs Committee while praising terrorists. A Democrat chairwoman incited further violence in the streets outside of a courthouse. And then the cherry on top. My colleague and three-month presidential candidate from California, who is on the Intelligence Committee, slept with Fang Fang, a Chinese spy. Let me say that again. A member of Congress who receives classified briefings was sleeping with the enemy. This is unacceptable, and this would never be... All right, so Lauren Boebert did that. I listen. I I applaud her. She everything she said was true. Uh, if it's not like that was slander and you know made up gossip, that's true. 
uh, Eric, um, Eric Swalwell sits on the Intelligence Committee, and he know he's a known collaborator with a Chinese spy. Uh, we have proof of this, and yet he was reappointed to that committee and defended by Nancy Pelosi. This is outrageous, and anger is the natural response. And Lauren was res- was expressing the anger of people in Congress that they're coming after them for the minutia. Paul Gosar posted a meme uh, that offended uh, Ilhan Omar. And so, but here's the worst part to me. <clears throat> the worst part to me is that the Republican leadership in the House, leadership in quotes, came after Lauren. Oh, I don't mean came after. Let's just say they approached her and said, Lauren, you know, that's that's like, kind of like, I, these are my words, not theirs. I have no idea what the private words were. But it's something like, I think might have been like, like kind of like the president's mean tweets. We can't have that. We can't have you calling out Ilhan Omar on the House floor, even though everything you said is true. That's kind of icky. So you need to apologize. So Lauren Boebert picked up the phone and she calls Ilhan Omar. And they had quite a conversation uh, uh, by the telling of both of them. And Ilhan Omar ended up hanging up on Lauren Boebert. Now, here's the thing. Some of you may say to me, oh, she should apologize. She should apologize. I don't, I'm wondering, let's think through this. So in our culture, we just rush out and say, I'm sorry. I apologize for doing that. But most of the time, there is no connection between heart and words. It's just blah, blah, blah. Please forgive me. I apologize. But you don't really, you don't really feel that way. So it's meaningless. It is meaningless. And I think for Lauren Boebert to apologize was just a, I would say that in this case, I'm on Omar, Ilhan Omar's side. She, it's ridiculous. They are never going to come together. Ilhan Omar is an enemy of the state. Uh, she's never going to make nice with Lauren Boebert. It was a foolish exercise. It's a culturally meaningless exercise. If Lauren Boebert felt in her heart she had made a mistake, had you know, wronged her sister in Congress, it would be a heartfelt apology about which would be, all right, maybe that could happen. She could change her mind. But at this point, she hasn't changed her mind. The apology was worthless. And Ilhan Amar hung up because it was worthless, because they are enemies. They are enemies. They are fighting. And I, I am, the thing I oppose is Republicans trying to convince Lauren she needs to apologize. Does, do they really think that this is going to get the wolves off their back in Congress? That somehow the Democratic leaders are going to like Lauren more because she apologized? I mean, really? How, I, I, you just want to shake people. It's not, it's un, it's, they live in an alternate universe where reality and just common sense is absent. Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted about this. I want to read to you what she said. If Democrats move against Lauren Boebert, who apologized, they'll only help Lauren and reveal their true nature. Ilhan Omar committed immigration fraud by repulsively marrying her brother, reveres al-Qaeda, and refers to 9-11 Islamic terror attack as some people did something. Remember that? And then Marjorie goes on. She said, Speaker Pelosi has already proven that she uses her position of power to attack her enemies. The Russian collusion investigation led by top liar Adam Schiff has already been proven to be the real big lie. But Nancy won't apologize for that. Instead, Pelosi is on her last Destroy America stint in power. She's still abusing her speakership with another fake committee just to spread more propaganda and lies against Republicans about J6. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes, actually. Uh, And it's laughable. Uh, Schiff is on that witch hunt, too. The Committee of Clowns. Okay, so that I'm gonna. That's uh, that's um that's and so Marjorie's been removed from her committee because how dare she, you know, speak the truth like that? I'd say if I had Lauren's ear, I'd just say let him have it. 
stop playing games. Just just let them have it. Let them censure. Let them do whatever they have to do. But don't you know? Give me liberty or give me death. Like let me speak the truth. Uh, you don't like apologize to tyrants. And there will be a price to pay. And this is what we're all facing in our private lives, whether it's COVID mandates or uh, any kind of um, kind of draconian rules uh, that the left, who are really puffing, beating their breasts with their power right now, uh, you have to decide, you know, if you're going to cave on your principles now, while you will not be shot yet, or you're going to do it now where you might uh, lose an advancement, uh, you might lose favor in the community, whatever you might lose now. It's an exercise in taking a stand. That's the way I view it. We are exercising our muscles on trying to take a stand because it's going to get far worse, and we know that. All right. Well, there the, the Supreme Court is hearing that um, uh, Mississippi case on abortion on tomorrow, on Wednesday. And so it's a big, it's a very big deal. Su- the, su- su- Susan B. Anthony Ellis has been running these incredible ads, and uh, I just wanted you to hear one of them uh, to just give you an idea. Let's listen. Clip three. In my house, I always knew I was adopted. My mom and dad were always willing to answer questions, but I could tell that there was some emotion surrounding questions that I had. When my mom told me that my birth mother had gone in to have an abortion procedure and I was born alive, I was shocked, one, just because I thought I already knew everything. At the same time, I'm so thankful to be here. It's not just about the lives of babies, but I also have great empathy for women. I think that there's things that we can do to make unplanned pregnancies a better situation for women. Our medical advances are so much better than even when I was born. We know what the pre-born baby looks like and what they can feel and what they sense. It bothers me greatly that there's laws in place that allow babies to be aborted up until the birth day. As somebody who survived an abortion, I would want to tell the Supreme Court that my life mattered. It's time to make a change. Okay, that's the Amy Miles story. It is just one of several ads that they're running. They're playing on Fox. Just all of them. They're doctors talking, nurses. And the the idea of the, the, the Mississippi case is over a law that was passed in Mississippi to limit late, later term abortions, second and third trimester. And uh, of course, there was a lower court that stayed that decision. And now the Supreme Court's going to decide if we can actually limit uh, abortions and second and third trimester babies. And so it's uh, those are powerful ads. And we'll talk more about that. You know we will. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. my options for abortion. After a series of health issues, this mom felt abortion was the only answer. Was still borderline thinking abortion until the little part at the bottom of the ultrasound started moving and we realized there were two. And I knew then. The Ministry of Preborn is there for moms in crisis, offering free ultrasounds and the gospel in action. At just 11 weeks old, these twins cried out for life through ultrasound. Just seeing that, I said, I can't. I can't. The ultrasound is still Preborn clinics are the largest providers of free ultrasounds in the USA, introducing moms to their preborn babies and helping them choose life. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
The following are real life stories from Trinity Debt Management. My story begins with debt, a lot of debt. I used my credit cards as a source of income. It was not a good situation. I couldn't pay my bills. The interest on the cards was really high. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. I initially was scared to call and immediately I felt relieved. They contacted all of our creditors and they put us on a plan for success. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. I've been able to pay off close to $15,000. We're doing a lot better. Please pick up the phone and see how affordable and easy it is to pay off your debt. It's a godsend. We're debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starnes. Stand by for news and commentary next. You need a university you can trust that offers a world-class education with the values, knowledge, and skills you need to succeed. That place is Liberty University, and now is the perfect time to start. This fall, Liberty celebrating 50 years of training champions for Christ, a mission that has not wavered since it opened in 1971. With more than 700 programs online and on campus, Liberty can help you turn your vision into a future you can be proud of. Text EXPLORE to the number 49596. That's EXPLORE to the 49596. Seven children are still hospitalized in Wisconsin, victims of what I've been calling a domestic terrorist attack. Six people dead, more than 60 injured. The accused killer has ties to Black Lives Matter, posted a series of racist messages on his social media pages. But you would not know that by watching the network news. That's because national journalists are not covering the story anymore. They've moved on. Senator Ron Johnson, a Republican, and Senator Tammy Duckworth, a Democrat, joined the call to move on. Stop talking about it, they say. Now let's just imagine what would have happened had the killer been wearing a MAGA hat. Every news anchor in the country would have been dispatched to Wisconsin. Calls for a national conversation about race relations. But that's not what happened in Waukesha, and the reason is very simple. It's possible that what happened flies in the face of the media's narrative about race relations in America. Proof that in today's woke modern society... All lives don't matter. I'm Todd Stearns. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Why should the state of Mississippi tell a woman um, uh, what they should do with their body? Why shouldn't they have that that individual freedom uh, to uh, on their body, particularly in the first uh, 20 weeks? Well, this is a prime example, and, and the far left uh, loves to scream, my body, my choice. And what I would submit to you, Chuck, is they absolutely ignore the fact that in getting an abortion, there is an actual killing of an innocent, unborn child that is in that womb. Here's what we know about babies that are 15 weeks. We know that they have a heartbeat. We know that those babies at 15 weeks actually can open and close their hands. We know that they have developing lungs and we know that those babies at 15 weeks can feel pain. And so when you talk, the the difference between vaccine mandates and abortions is vaccines allow you to protect yourself. Abortions actually go in and kill other American babies. And let's just put this in perspective. But Governor, vaccines are not about yourself. Governor, hang on a minute. A vaccine is about protecting a larger community. A vaccine is about presenting, preventing spread. You could argue a vaccine mandate is a pro-life position. 
You could certainly argue that, Chuck, but even if you listen to Dr. Fauci's interview with you earlier today, he made it very clear that the vaccine may not keep you from getting the virus. It may not keep you from spreading the virus, but it can keep you from ending up in the hospital. That's what's been proven during this Delta surge that we've seen in, uh, in America, is that the virus is continuing to being spread even amongst those who are vaccinated. All right, so that was the governor of Mississippi, Tate Reeves. I've criticized him before because I was pretty upset that he locked down Mississippi so thoroughly initially and in, in allowing churches to be shut down also. So I had a problem with that. So it's really good to hear him coming out swinging. That was with Chuck Todd on Sunday morning. And um, he was so uh, nimble and articulate and understanding the issue of abortion, able to argue, you know, he Chuck Todd was trying to trap him. That's what they always do. Trust me, I know. Uh, they try to trap you, set you up with a trick question, and he handled that beautifully. And so it uh, reminds me very much of a situation that happened way back when I was, again, I always say this, but you have to know this is a big part of my life that prepared me for what I do now. But when I was president of the CWA, uh, there was a congressman named Todd Aiken from Missouri. He was the incumbent uh, running for Senate against Claire McCaskill. She was, her husband had been killed in a car accident. And she was, she decided, you know, because he had a, a well-known name, uh, she threw her hat in the ring to run against Todd Aiken, who was supposed to be a shoo-in. He was the Republican. Of course, she was the Democrat. Of course, she won, became a nightmare to the country uh, until she was finally defeated. She was really, really a leftist, just a snarling, you know, one of the early feminine, feminist, uh, repulsive to me. I'll just say it, repulsive feminist uh, who was really far on the left. Okay, so she won. But Todd Aiken at the time, the reason that he lost was because he was asked a simple question about abortion, and he just t completely botched the answer. And at the time, I criticized him, and uh, the reason I did is because he is, says he has said for years he's pro-life, but he never bothered to really understand what that meant so that he could articulate it. It wasn't that hard, the question that was given him. And I also had seen him in a private uh, meeting. He was asked about this, and he was very flippant about it. And that offended me. I just I said at the time, and I'll say again, we need serious-minded people representing us who understand the issues. We don't need flippant people who just say they're this and that and, or, and hug your baby and pat you on the head and have great hair uh, to represent us. We need fighters. And so, but Tate, Tate Reeves did a beautiful job. And so Chuck Todd followed up with another question, and he handled this one well, too. Let's listen to clip five. When you're talking about uh, the pro-life position of protecting unborn babies, let's put it also in perspective. The fact is that during this very horrible and challenging time since I was sworn into office in right. January of 2020, Chuck, we've had 800,000 American lives lost because of COVID. And my heart aches for every single one of those individuals that, that has died uh, because of COVID. And over 10,000 Mississippians, my heart breaks for every single one of them. But since Roe was enacted, 62 million American babies have been aborted and have therefore been killed. And that's why I think right. it's very important that people like myself and others across this country stand up for those unborn children because they don't have the ability to stand up for themselves. So, Governor Reeves, congratulations. That was really powerful. And uh, and you people in Mississippi should be very proud of him. And by the way, of course, it's the Mississippi case that's going to be heard. It's the one that everyone says has the ha could have, uh, has a very likely possibility of overturning Roe versus Wade. Wouldn't that be something? 
So the justices will hear that case tomorrow, and we find out, we'll find out what happens. Well, I played for you the clip, uh, changing the subject, but still on health, I played the clip for you yesterday of Anthony Fauci talking about how he is science. This uh, just unbelievably, um, I, this is my favorite word this morning, repulsive. It was repulsive. I think my granddaughter said that when she was here. Lucy, she would say, that's that, no, she'd say, that's ridiculous. Sorry, I got the wrong R word, but uh, she's very funny, very emphatic. So I'm becoming emphatic with my granddaughter. But um, Dr. Fauci was so offensive when he did this clip where he said he was science. And so he really took in that clip Rand Paul and Ted Cruz to task because they're the ones coming after him. Why are there only two, I might ask? But they're the two coming after him. And so um, Dr. Fauci, uh, I'll just give you a little reminder of what he said, and then you'll get Rand Paul's response. Let's listen. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. You know, when a government bureaucrat has the audacity, the arrogance to say they represent all of science, we should be running the other way. It conjures up images of the medieval church, you know, in their repression of science. Science has nothing to do with having obedience to any kind of government dogma. And you have to realize that most of what Fauci talks about isn't science. He's not talking about a study on this or a study of that. He's talking about wear a mask. Well, when you talk about the peer-reviewed studies of masks, there was one done in Denmark, showed that it didn't work. When you look at all of Sweden, 1.8 million children have not been wearing masks for the last two years. They've had zero COVID deaths. And you say, well, have the teachers been infected? Well, it turns out the teachers are infected at the same rate as the rest of the public. Mm. So they've, they, they've had no masks for a year, year and a half, and it has worked. And that's a whole country. And there's no real discussion of this because if you question him, and really that's public policy, that's not science. It's public policy backed by some science. But if you question him, oh, somehow you are questioning science because he represents all science. That is incredibly arrogant. Yeah, so that was Rand Paul's response. And it was incredibly arrogant, just frighteningly arrogant, actually. Um, it reminded me very much of Scott Atlas interview, being interviewed by Tucker Carlson. Uh, Scott was talking, Dr. Scott Atlas, uh, he's uh, at, um, uh, yeah, wherever he is, Northern California, famed uh, medical facility. He was uh, he went to the University of Chicago, uh, trained there, which is one of the most famed uh, and highly respected medical schools in the country. He's been at all the major, uh, he's been out east too, and the major uh, medical centers there, teaching facilities. He's not only a doctor, but he's also a professor. And so his comments on his first uh, meeting with Fauci and um, Redfield and Deborah Burks was there was no science. He said they didn't even discuss the things they were deciding. They were all in lockstep. They came to the table with nothing. And he said, I've never been in a more dumbed-down medical meeting discussion than that one. That's my words. That's what he said, though. I wanted you to hear that. I was wanted to pull that this morning. But he just said, I've never, he said, I just, I was appalled by the lack of science, the lack of studies. He said, I came armed with all these studies, and they did not want to hear it. So when uh, Fauci says that he was, I am science, that just need a, needs a laugh track. That is just so ridiculous. And it would be funny if it weren't for the power that he wields. 
uh, Stanford out in California. That's where um, that's where uh, yeah, uh, Scott Atlas is. All right, I want to tell you a couple of. Well, several actually really important things about what's happening on the COVID front. So, so listen carefully, and I'll do my best to make it clear. So, Biden made a speech yesterday, and he says, "At least you know you can't trust him." Uh, but this is what he said: the strategy for the Omicron variant is uh, vaccination, not shutdowns. Oh, and that reminds me. Yeah, I'm not going to stop for that. That's just silly. He's mispronouncing it, like I did yesterday when I hadn't. It's the first time I had pronounced it. Omicron. You know, they named these viruses uh, from the Greek alphabet, and the next one was supposed to be Chi. Uh, this is supposed to be the Chi variant. Well, guess who's named Chi? Oh, yeah, the uh, the um, the head of China, the chairman of China, Chairman Chi. And so they decided to skip that letter, and they're making all kinds of excuses for it. But you know, this whole thing is political. It's a, it's a it's a nation it's a worldwide cabal really it's just disgusting so the omicron variant uh, Biden is telling us for right now no shutdowns of course the omicron variant so far from the medical experts we've talked to uh, is mild it's very contagious but it produces very mild symptoms and yet we go into this panic mode you know we do and the drug companies rush to create more vaccines for you because they're trying to save your life. Of course, your life is not at risk, but that seems to be unimportant. As a matter of fact, I just read again today that the studies are showing that you still have a 99, you have a 1% chance of dying. All of us, the average of everyone of every age is you have a 1% chance of dying if you get COVID. Now, some people are dying. There's no question about that. And I am not flipping about that. You know it. But the thing that just drives me crazy is that there are treatments. There are treatments. And I want to give you an example, two stories here. This is a story that came from my, my neck of the woods. I raised my kids in Wheaton, Illinois. Naperville is the next community over. A guy named Sun, Sun Ying, a contractor from Hong Kong, was, by the way, I'm reading this from Daniel Horowitz, my good friend who writes for uh, The Blaze. Um, he said, um, Sun Ning is a contractor from Hong Kong was visiting his grandchildren in October when he caught COVID-19. Ng was admitted to Edward Hospital in Naperville on October 14th and placed on a ventilator several days later. Like thousands of other patients, the hospital offered Ng no viable hope of survival, but bitterly fought the use of ivermectin, even with the family's own doctor, at their own cost and with their own liability. Ng's daughter, Man Quan Ning, sued this hospital in DuPage County Circuit Court for the right to have Dr. Alan Bain administer a regimen of ivermectin. According to the court affidavit, at the time Ng was, quote, in the same state for many, many days, critically ill, end quote, a nurse suggested that Dr. Ng stop all this aggressive care and let her father die naturally. On November 5th, after Ng was on the ventilator for three weeks, DuPage County Circuit Court Judge Paul Fullerton ruled in favor of the family and allowed Dr. Bang to administer 24-milligram doses of ivermectin from November 8th to the 12th. The result? Within five days, he was able to breathe without the ventilator, and on November 16th, walked out of the ICU. This past Sunday, Ng was breathing without supplemental oxygen on a regular hospital floor. Ralph Lorigo, I think I know Ralph. I, this Certainly the name sounds familiar. Ralph Lorigo, I might not. The lawyer on this case told me that the patient was able to extubate himself from the ventilator, yet the hospital is still appealing the decision. You shouldn't have to have a lawyer to come out alive, said Larigo in an interview. 
Shockingly, the hospital attorney, Joseph Monahan, said, we continue to strenuously object to the false science narrative that is being given to the court without basis. Larigo told me he had been, this is Daniel talking, had been retained in 129 cases with ivermectin denials, but in the vast majority of them he can't even complete the court filings before the patient passes away. However, in cases where he has time to fight and win in court, he almost always succeeds in saving the patient. Of all the cases I won and the patient was able to go through the full course of ivermectin, the patient is home and healthy. And uh, so um, let me remind you, if you are in that situation, and some of you may still be, I've heard so many stories, they make me sick. They make me sick. They make me angry. I cannot believe that doctors and hospitals would withhold medical care from patients uh, because they make tons of money uh, when people get COVID and die. They get tons of money, and they don't get any money if they give ivermectin. It's too cheap. And so uh, that's why they give remdesivir, which costs $3,000 a dose and actually kills people itself, uh, creating kidney and, uh, and liver failure. It's just shocking. It's shocking that you cannot trust our healthcare system, most of it. And let me just say to you, once again, if you have um, forgotten these things, if you need ivermectin, go to flccc.org, flccc.org. That's a critical care. They have a whole critical care doctors. They have a whole section of uh, referrals to doctors that will give ivermectin. Also, the same thing holds for uh, frontlinedoctors.com. You can get it there, or you can go to myfreedoctor.com and uh, find a doctor who will prescribe it for you. Okay, so um, so don't let your don't let your friends and family die, and you fight. Listen, don't just because it's a doctor, just because it's a hospital administrator and they look more important and more powerful and they have the right words, you fight for your family members. Boy, I learned that when my daughter was in the hospital years and years ago. She was there so often. She was so helpless. She was severely disabled. She needed constant care. And I learned, boy, did I ever learn to fight for my my daughter in many, many cases. I was told I should just let her die. Uh, lots of things, and I and, and I had to fight. So uh, fight, will you fight? Fight for your family members. Fight for your friends. Intercede. People at church. Don't let them die needlessly. All right. So um, uh, there's more about COVID. There's also more about January 6th that I want to tell you about. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. So, Hannah, she's just one of the women who did struggle with infertility in the Bible. Hannah's Heart with Ann Cockrell and Kendra White. Hannah took her pain to God, and God heard her and was with her. Hannah's Heart helps couples process infertility and miscarriage through a biblical lens. Join us Saturday afternoon at 5 Central on American Family Radio. Find the podcast at AFR.net. To sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is the mission of the Christian Worldview Radio Program. I'm host David Wheaton, inviting you to join us this Saturday morning at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, as we discuss all matters of life and faith from a decidedly biblical perspective. The Christian Worldview, 
Saturday mornings at 9 Eastern, 8 Central, right here on American Family Radio. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. With this statement, Jesus affirmed what he'd already said in Genesis 1 and 2 and defined marriage for all time. Contrary to the protestations of the nouveau critical theorists, the nuclear family consisting of a married father and mother is not a Western sociological prescription or construct. Marriage did not originate in the West. Its origin isn't suburban America. It started in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. Marriage is God's idea. Therefore, he alone defines it. If you don't like it, your problem is with God, not me. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The church is growing big time in Latin America, and here's why. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. If you follow groups like Barna who measure church growth in America, they'll tell you it's somewhat stunted. In fact, it may have even dipped here in America. But it prompts you to look at where is it growing around the world. It's in places like Latin America because people are willing to suffer for the gospel. Let me tell you about a church outside of Caracas, Venezuela. They are rescuing women who are kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They're serious about this. In fact, one of the members was killed by the cartel. His corpse pulled behind a truck to make an example to other Christians to stay out of the way to the cartel. But I can tell you this church is focused on what they believe God has called them to. And they have led more than a hundred women, former prostitutes to faith in Christ. And these women are needing Bibles because they're non-existent in that part of Venezuela. Please, at $5 a Bible, make your most generous gift by calling 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give at sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. This is Frank Afty with the Secure Freedom Minute. A particularly egregious example of Joe Biden's wrecking operation is his administration's disregard for religious liberty. Oh, he and his minions like Secretary of State Tony Blinken pay lip service to this foundational freedom, but their actions betray an indifference to its abuse and those being denied it. For example, Secretary Blinken recently enthused about religious liberty's importance while in Nigeria, an Islamist-dominated nation in which jihadists are genocidally murdering Christians. Immediately before, however, the State Department delisted Nigeria as a country of concern, effectively ignoring and legitimating the sectarian bloodletting. Even where Team Biden has recognized religiously motivated genocide is taking place against Muslim minorities in communist China, it is rewarding the practice by refusing to boycott the Olympic Games there in February. We must actually stand up for religious freedom, not enable its abuse abroad and inevitably, eventually, in America. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Speaking of uh, ivermectin, I want to get just a couple more stories in here before we change the subject to January the 6th. This is another article by Daniel uh, Horowitz of uh, Blaze Media. And uh, so he's talking about Africa. And I've mentioned this to you before, but I just want to confirm it in your minds again. He's recounting how, you know, Europe is now going through this huge wave, this new variant, and they're having all kinds of COVID cases, and yet most of them are vaccinated. Uh, In East Asia, the same thing. 
So in spite of that, the AP wrote this, uh, this phrase that Daniel points out, there is something mysterious going on in Africa that is puzzling scientists. Africa doesn't have the vaccines and the resources to fight COVID-19 that they have in Europe and the U.S., but somehow they seem to be doing better. That's the statement by Wafa El Sadr, the chair of global health at Columbia University. Um, fewer than 6% in Africa are people in Africa are vaccinated. For months, the World Health Organization has described Africa as, quote, the one of the least affected regions in the world, and they just can't quite figure it out. But then, of course, uh, Daniel goes on to repeat what I've told you many, many times uh, with a little bit more detail here. Since 1987, Merck has been funneling several hundred million doses of ivermectin per year through the Mectazon donation program, which includes all of Central Africa. So, um, But it's not just that. Uh, the other thing is that they've been taking hydroxychloroquine <laughs> for years for malaria. Missionaries introduced them to that. And we, I've told you before, they call it the Saturday pill in many countries and tribes in Africa. And so they have remained relatively COVID-free. It's really an amazing story. And so uh, yet they, they're in complete denial and letting people die here. And in Europe, they, you, know, you can't even get these drugs, I don't think. As, as far as I know, I think we're still lucky in that if you really look, you can get ivermectin. If you really try, you can still get it. And some of these countries, they're just refusing. And people are dying. It's just ridiculous. So um, another update. The Biden administration, you remember that two, two decisions came down stopping the, the, the order that OSHA had issued that companies that had more than 100 employees had to, were forced to vaccinate their employees. You know that the court stopped it, uh, that the Biden administration appealed it. This is the Fifth Circuit. And then the Fifth Circuit came back with a powerful message. No, no, it's an overreach. We're not, no, you're not going to do that. So then OSHA withdrew the rule. But now the Biden administration has decided that they will appeal now to the Sixth Circuit Court. The Sixth Circuit Court in that lottery is the one that is now going to be the one hearing all of these cases about the mandates. So um, so, so they're not giving up. OSHA is going to still try to reinstate it. Now we'll see what the Sixth Circuit Court does. That'll be a good litmus test to see where the Sixth Circuit's going to be on all of this. I know that the prediction is that they're going to be better than a lot of cor- uh, courts or circuits, but we're not quite sure. So we'll see. And then uh, some more good news. A judge has blocked the Biden vaccine mandate for health care workers in 10 states. I think this was led by the Attorney General of Missouri, uh, yeah, I think, I think, I'm sorry, I can't, um, but it's uh, Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska, New Hampshire, North Dakota, South Dakota, Arkansas, Alaska, and Iowa. And so right now the mandate for healthcare workers there is, uh, is on hold. And so I know that's the first response is going to be, well, what about us? We live in a different state. Will it affect us? This is making its way to the court. And so if they come to the other end, uh, and they have a good decision, that's when it will affect all of you. But right now, it just affects those 10 states. So um, just be encouraged, okay? Just be encouraged because it looks like help might be on the way. It's po- There's a possibility, okay? So we'll hope. And um, by the way, they, ironically, oh, no, one other good one, San Diego. Uh, there was a student vaccine mandate. Um, and even the Ninth Circuit Court in Northern California, which is known as the Ninth Circus, it's a little better now after Trump made some good nominations. But they actually ruled in favor uh, they stayed that. They were trying to, a student athlete sued the district for religious discrimination. Thomas Moore, our good friends Thomas Moore, represented them, and so a judge has stayed or blocked 
that uh, mandate for the students, at least for now. So that's some encouragement, and we should take encouragement. Uh, now, here's here irony of all ironies, ridiculousness of all ridiculousness, uh, the exposure of the joke, the circus, the game, the act, the play that we are playing, the COVID play, is this story. The Biden administration has delayed federal vaccine enforcement until the new year. The Office of Management and Budget has told some federal agencies and managers that they can wait to terminate or suspend their employees who won't get vaccinated until the holidays are over. Now, isn't that kind? Isn't that kind with the Office of Management and Budget? Not so kind to our servicemen and women, not so kind to other federal workers, not so kind to kids in schools, not so kind to people who work for companies. But hey, those federal workers, now listen, they need protecting. Yeah, so they're going to get it. They're not going to have to kind of, and I bet, I bet you'll see a delay. Post office, they're not even making them get vaccinated. You know, it's just, uh, it goes on and on. All right. So there you go. That's the update on COVID. Now I want to give you an important update on January the 6th because you know the January 6th panel is, a you know, they're going full bore. They're up to their ears in nonsense. And so now they're trying, of course, to come after all kinds of Trump officials. They're coming now after a guy named Jeffrey Clark. It's my understanding that he was a low level, or not high level, but uh, I'm not sure how to describe it, but not the highest of the... Um, uh, representation of President Trump. So he was involved in the accusation against him. Uh, I got to find the exact words, and if I can't find them, I'll just tell you. Uh, the, uh, basically, he was he gave the advice to President Trump that they should uh, contact all of the states and ask them not to certify uh, the electoral votes. This is before January 6th. Uh, not to certify, to hold off certifying until this stuff was sorted out. And that's what he did. That's the horrible, horrible thing that he did. And so he uh, in, he did appear before Congress. Then they wanted to do a follow-up. They asked him all these questions, and he, he claimed executive privilege, uh, which the president generally has, but he's been denied that by this administration. So uh, they're coming after him. Jeff, uh, that's, again, Jeffrey Clark. And, of course, they're coming after Steve Bannon. So Steve Bannon uh, is being charged with contempt because he refused to appear in Congress. But Steve's response has been very different. Remember, the chief, uh, Steve was the chief of staff, uh, the first chief of st- That's not true. He was not chief of staff. That was, Ryan, uh, that was um, Reince Priebus. Steve was the chief advisor for the president, whatever the title was. And um, I, by the way, I know Steve uh, for what it's worth. And so he, I mean, he's a fighter. He is a fighter. And for example, he was former naval commander. And by the way, you may not even know, Steve uh, made a lot of his money because he he uh, was one of the financial baggers of Seinfeld years and years ago in Hollywood, uh, and he still gets residuals from that. So he's a very interesting person. He was the one who took over Breitbart after Andrew died. Andrew Breitbart died. So that's a little bit, a tiny mini uh, biography of Steve Bannon. But the Justice Department brought charges against Bannon after a referral from the January 6th panel, which is all Democrats except for... You know, um, our little friend from uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Cheney, Liz Cheney, and the other guy from uh, Adam Kensinger from Illinois are the only Republicans who hate Trump and are happy to be part of this panel. All the rest of the Republicans were kicked off the panel, so you can imagine that it's a very fair panel. So they're coming after 
uh, Bannon. Uh, and so here's what he's doing. He is uh, planning on using his court proceedings uh, to just kind of get the word out on what's really going on here. This is what he told journalists. I'm telling you right now, this is going to be the misdemeanor from Hades, I'll use that word, for Merrick Garland, Garland, Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden. Joe Biden ordered Merrick Garland to prosecute me from the White House lawn when he got off Marine One, and we're going to go on the offense. We're tired of playing defense. We're going to go on the offense on this. The heart of the issue is uh, that Steve claimed that the DOJ is trying to prevent him from publicly disclosing or discussing documents that are already part of public record, like letters between his attorneys and the January 6th committee. He wants to use that in his defense, and they're, they're saying he can't do it. You know, he can't defend himself with any information. He can only be prosecuted by them. And so he's going on on the offense. And so I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I don't know who knows what's going to happen. I'm sure they'll do everything they can to come after him and take everything he has. That'll be the game plan. But you're going to see a good fight. And uh, that's the that's the story with the J6 Commission and Steve Bannon. Now, there are some more stories, uh, follow-up stories. Oh, I should tell you this. Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch uh is saying that Nancy Pelosi, they're telling a federal court that not one second of the January 6th video should be released under common law right of access to public records. So you don't have a right to see any of those videos. And by the way, they're being seen, and I've seen several of them lately that I had never seen before. One of them was uh, just obviously, this is not subtle, you saw policemen chasing one of the protesters knocking him down. There's like 10 policemen and one protester, and they're beating him. They're beating him savagely. It's just amazing. I asked my husband, Bruce, to look at it. I said, Bruce, is there, what's, what do you see here? And this is, I thought, maybe I'm missing something. But he said, no, it's police brutality. It just is. And then I saw another one just this morning when I was prepping for you. It's a very quick clip, but it shows a policeman, again, with a baton, beating a protester as he's just walking by him. It's so, it's um, so part of the narrative that's been missing here, and some of the video footage shows this. Uh, you may have seen a Western Journal uh, did a documentary that they released Thanksgiving Day that you might want to look into, Western Journal. I have actually not had a chance to watch it yet, but I'm going to. You have to pay to see it, and I've paid the money, and I just uh, say that you'll see a lot of footage in that. If you have an interest, go to Western Journal. And you can see some footage that you've never seen. It's not that prepared footage that they showed us to convince us that uh, the people that were supporting Donald Trump were insurrectionists. It's not that footage. It's other footage. And so many people are showing by these videos that the police, not all the police, I'm sure that's why maybe the reason why some of them, this is my speculation, why a few of them committed suicide. It may be why it was so traumatic for them because some of their own. And some of it was um, D.C. police too. remember that. And one of them was uh, a female policeman who beat to death Roseanne Boylan. Uh, Boylan, they claimed that, you know, remember they said two people were trampled? They never gave their names. This is way back. And they had medical problems and, they, you know, it, nothing to see here. Well, now we know more and more about Roseanne Boylan's. And one of the reasons we know about it is because Philip Anderson, you've heard me talk about Philip before. Philip was a black activist. He's a young black man, very well-spoken, from California, who uh, during the 2020 election cycle uh, had a rally, tried to hold a rally in North, in California, in Los Angeles. And he had music, patriotic music, and he's trying to organize this. And these Antifa thugs come up and beat him and knock his teeth out. 
It's just amazing. You can see it on camera. And Philip was, on January 6th, he, he, I can't, I would stay home after having both my two front teeth knocked out, but not Philip. He was there on January the 6th and he was beaten. And he tells his story. And I want you to hear how he tells it and what he has to say. This is clip eight. So Philip, what did you experience at the Capitol on January 6th? Uh, I experienced death. Uh, the person who's holding my hand, Roseanne Boylan, she died while she was holding my hand. And I thought that I was dead too. I lost consciousness. I blacked out. Uh, and all I remember was all this weight on top of me and all this mace, like coming down like a waterfall to the point that my hoodie, you know, my sweatshirt and my shirt were completely drenched. Afterwards, I had to throw them both in a trash can. I was walking around without a shirt, you know, limping with my arm over Mindy Robinson's shoulders. Uh, it was crazy what happened. It was, it was insane. The police were beating people savagely and the media covered it all up. Uh, literally, the New York Times, the Washington Post, all these people were standing right there watching it happen and they put the cameras down. They pointed towards the ground. And uh, they wouldn't interview me. They said like, hey, you're Philip, you're Philip Anderson, right? Let me get your phone number. They never called back because they want to push this narrative that the police, the Capitol Police are 100% the good guys and that is false. The reason they were attacked in the first place is because they killed Roseanne Boyland and also nearly killed me. The only reason I'm still alive is because the Trump supporters who saved my life. They saved my life. And the reason why they were attacked is because they killed Roseanne Boyland, nearly killed me in front of everyone there. And it's insane to me that they lie about the cause of Ro Roseanne's death. All right, that's all we have time for in that clip. That's just amazing. And uh, Philip Anderson, you know, a black conservative, when have you heard his name? Why wasn't he in the headlines? Why hasn't he been all over the media? But he's the wrong color, standing for the wrong issue. And the truth is, there were some really bad police there on that day. And they did some real damage. And that is part, a huge part of the story of what happened on January the 6th. All right, Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.